Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Did people from the planet Lanulos visit West Virginia in the 1960s? If so, why did they look so human? Could government mind control experiments have been involved? Greetings and welcome to the 575th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those far-flung questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we bring you back to the 1960s, a decade when the paranormal was uh, was in the news quite a bit. And uh, we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers to call 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or the Canada. Or the Canada. <laughs> in the U.S. or Canada. Well, we know it was the Canada's back in the... Uh, the Canada, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or 401-766-1240. That is locally. Also, we will monitor our emails. That's paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. Tanya Bowman is the daughter of Woodrow W. Durenberger, the center of a series of UFO contactee reports that coincided with the bizarre Mothman episode in the Ohio Valley in the mid-1960s. The whole thing was reported by New York journalist John A. Keel in his book The Mothman Prophecies, on which the 2002 film of the same name was based. In the movie, the character Gordon Smallwood was based on Mr. Durenberger. There is a local connection for our southeastern New England listening audience here. The late Joe Ferrier, the much-respected afternoon talk show host here on ON 1240, for over 50 years was also a prominent UFO researcher in the 1960s and the publisher Probe magazine. Joe knew Mr. Durenberger, who allowed him to publish his story in Probe's September 1968 edition, which Ben and I have in front of us right now, or supposed to. In the article, Mr. Durenberger renounced an upcoming book, and this turned out to be Visitors from Lanulos, which I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which Tanya has brought back into print. Tanya herself grew up in, in Parkersburg, West Virginia, uh, an area uh, where those events uh, took place, and still loves there, lives there. I, I love Parkersburg. Along with continuing her father's work, Tanya herself is a publicist and an activist for those who suffer from a multiple sclerosis. So, Tanya Bowman, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. So, Tanya, what happened to your father on the night of November 2nd, 1966? Well, I mean, I myself only remember bits and pieces because I was three years old when it happened. But from talking to him and reading the book, he um, he was he was a salesman, and he sold stereos and sewing machines and also repaired them. And he was driving home late one night down I seventy seven, and this was before it was all paved and everything. And he was pulled over by a bright light in what seemed to be. Um, some sort of a a spaceship, and injured cold got out and started communicating with him uh, telepathically, and he asked him all kinds of questions like, "What were the bright lights in the distance?" And my dad told him it was Parkersburg; it was a city. And injured cold said they called they called it a gathering where he was from. But at first, my father was frightened to death. He uh, from what he had said, told us, and I mean, it was really weird. My dad never seemed to be frightened about anything or shaken up about anything. 
So he came in, when he got home, he was white as a sheet. And my brother and I were sitting in the living room watching TV in our farmhouse in Mineral Wells. And my mother, he went into the kitchen. He didn't even say anything to my brother. I just kind of walked past him like he's in a trance. And he went into the kitchen and was talking to my mother. And I could hear bits and pieces. I I was always the nosy kind. I wanted to know what was going on at all times. So I hid behind the chair in the corner and was kind of listening. And then my mother came out and told my brother and I to go upstairs to bed. Well, the next thing I knew, I saw lights outside and uh, I didn't know what was going on, but um, I went downstairs and it was the police. At that time, my mother's cousin was a sheriff for the Wood County Police Department. So they, my father explained the whole thing to, to the police department and they said, you know, not, not to worry. They'll have a, a cruiser sitting outside for the night. And I think that's just because of, you know, who we knew. I don't think that would have happened regularly. But he, uh, they left and there was a, a cruiser sitting outside all, uh, all night. Well, the next day my father went on, um, a local TV station here, WTAP, with his story. And after that, everything kind of just blew up out of control. We had, I remember having, looking outside my window and there were people with guns in the trees outside. And I think what they were doing is they were waiting for the spacemen. After, because after my father went, went on WTAP, everybody knew what happened. So we had people in the yard, we had people in the trees. We had people call, crank calling us all the time. It was really a mess. But what people didn't realize is that Indrid Cold and a buddy of his, and I can't remember off the top of my head what the, what the buddy's name was, and I don't have the book in front of me, but, uh, they, would come and go without anybody knowing because they didn't look like what people would think of as spacemen. They looked just like regular people. Uh, Andrew Cold had kind of a, uh, looks like he was of a, of a Hispanic descent. So, Andrew Cold and, can you give me a look? Andrew Cold and, Injured Cold and this and his friend would no yeah I'll, could you uh, oh did we lose her okay um, everyone the uh, interview we, we thought we might have to kind of um, cut the interview a little bit short uh, Tanya has been uh, quite ill so um, we're going to try to get her back later and see what. Uh, 
what's going on. But in any case, so we were prepared to do an open mic show tonight if we had to. But you have heard the beginning of the story, the strange story of Indrid Cold. Anyone who has seen the film, uh, The Mothman Prophecies, has uh, met Indrid Cold, so to speak. The, uh, the book, The Mothman Prophecies, by John A. Keel, a journalist I admired uh, but unfortunately did not know, was uh, very different from the film. Uh, the uh, the book, The Mothman Prophecies, which we do recommend, is that is uh, very um, uh, complete in its explanation of what occurred in the Ohio Valley at that time, from uh, probably beginning uh, earnestly, 1962, especially through 1966 and on. There are all sorts of interesting um, events that occurred at that uh, at that particular time. Uh, UFO reports, uh, Mothman uh, himself or itself, and um, that, that uh, uh, various um, reports of other sorts of creatures. Uh, ben and I were down there in 2003. Uh, ben was too young to be involved yet, but I was speaking at the uh, con- at a conference in Parkersburg, and people were telling me uh, were older at that time that when they were children they had experiences of this kind and they heard the strange footsteps on their roofs and and things of, of this kind. Oh, do we have uh, we have Tanya back? Okay. Oh, hello, Tanya. Welcome back. Uh, we were um, filling, filling in some blanks here. But uh, you were continuing the story of uh, the uh, Ingrid Cold events that are, as it affected your family. And, the, and we ended, I guess, with guys in trees and all over your property uh, with guns and a right. lot of phone calls. So uh, what happened after that? Yeah, we, we ended up moving. But it seemed like every time we moved, of course... Andrew Cold and his friend would come and visit us, and people somehow would keep finding us and keep finding our phone number, even though it wasn't it wasn't published. But we also we were invited down to um, Cape Canaveral, where they put my father through a rigorous testing. Um, they did an EKG. They did all kinds of stuff to see if my father was crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> or if he, or if what, what he was doing was telling the truth. And they they deduced that he was telling the truth. But it was really weird too because my mother would go shopping with us, and I would see injured cold in the stores and take him out. But as soon as I got close to where he was, he he wasn't there anymore. He had, he had disappeared. So you know what he looked like? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I had, I had, I had met him. In fact, I had a, a big box that my dad turned into a spaceship for me that I used to play with. <laughs> okay. When I was a little girl, but, but, my brother didn't want to have anything to do with them. He was kind of usually afraid of them, very wary of them. But I wasn't afraid of anything. Of course, I was only yes, I was three years old. Okay. But how, how and a did, lot of people, a lot of people say, "Well, how do you remember this stuff?" I remember a lot from when I was three years old from an experience like this because it was just so out of the ordinary, and then from talking to my father and my mother they you know we talked we we talked a lot about it for years mhm my um 
mother for a while tried saying it didn't happen. She, she, because my father was on TV and radio in Cleveland and we had moved to Cleveland. The UFO group from Cleveland came down here to investigate it. And this one guy, Bob Lalonde, came down several times to investigate it and ended up taking me and my brother and my mother back to Cleveland. And my mother and he actually uh, ended up marrying because oh, she divorced my father. All right. Which... Yeah, which was not which was not good. He was not the person he he, he said he was. But yeah, well, you know that that's another story. But we went to UFO meetings all the time up in Cleveland. Okay, where uh, they talked about it. And Tanya, uh, when Indrid Cold and his friend, did you ever find out the friend's name? Uh, it's in the book. Okay, which I <laughs> read, but I can't remember it either. How did they I, arrive? Yeah, I have it in front of me. Okay, yeah. If you if you can find it, that'd be great. But in the meantime, how how did they arrive at your house? I don't know. I honestly don't know. There was never a spaceship, and there was never a, a, a car. They just kind of walked down the walked up the alley and up to the house. Huh. So okay. I don't know if they parked. A, some sort of vehicle someplace else or if they got dropped off so to speak or what okay well we'll, we'll get into all that and, and what this what this was about but uh, I'm looking at the uh, the leads the lead of a story from the Parkersburg News and Sentinel newspaper from 2011 and uh, I wondered if you could just comment on this I'm sure you're familiar with the article because uh, you're interested right. in it uh, a Wood County man's claims of encounters with an extraterrestrial brought him much notoriety Obviously more than he expected, that's my comment. It put Woodrow Durenberger's family in the public spotlight, bringing unwanted attention that ruined his marriage and strained relations with his family. Quote, I don't think he ever imagined the, the magnitude of his claims, unquote, a quote from you. And then he regrets it broke up his marriage, he lost contact with me. That's very tragic, but right. obviously it was difficult on your mother and certainly on you and your brother, I would think. Yeah, my mother for a long time. I, when my father lived in Cleveland, I had a lot of contact with him. But then when he moved back to Parkersburg, my mother would not. Out, he, he started bringing up this all this stuff again. So my mother absolutely would not let me have any contact with him. And so I, when I was eighteen. I brought it on myself to reestablish contact with my father. Okay. And I had, I only had a few short years because my father passed away in 1990. But, so I only had a few short years to, re, you know, where I regained contact with my father and talked to him. And I just, I, re, I regret he, he never got to meet any of his grandchildren though because Oh yes. You know, when he passed, he passed away when my first daughter was born in um, 1990. Okay. Oh, so uh, you know, I, I regret that, but yes. You know, it's 
Okay. It couldn't be helped. No, of course. Okay, well, it's good that you saw him uh, at least uh, toward the end of his life anyway. Uh, now, it's well right. documented, Tanya, that there were, uh, as, as we mentioned, uh, that there were a lot of sightings of UFOs in the Ohio Valley at the same time. There were a lot of things going on sort of around this. Did you see any connection between any of the other things that were going on uh, and your father's experience, the Mothman and all that business? Well, the whole Mothman thing was blown out of proportion. John Keel himself called me and um, got in touch with me and told me about the Mothman movie. And the character of Gordon Smallwood, that was totally blown out of proportion. Oh, yes. In fact, in fact, everybody is saying, oh, because of the injured cold thing in Gordon Smallwood that you know, that was my father. That's totally wrong. Mm. The, the character of my father was Mr. Leach. Oh, I thought that John was John Keel. Keel. Was, John Keel was the reporter. Oh, okay. All right. John, John Keel was that. the reporter. Yeah, because what I noticed about it was where Mr. Leach said he didn't want to talk about it. It ruined his family. And he had started drinking. I remember that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is, that's what even brought me to believe that that, that character was my dad, because that's Makes exactly sense. what happened. Yeah, okay. In fact, when I wrote the book, I promised my mother on her deathbed I would change her name. So in the book, her name is changed, and... My brother, who didn't never wanted any connection to it, told me if I didn't change his name, he was going to sue me. So I changed his name also. Right. So the only name that's you know not changed in the book is, of course, is mine. Okay. While we're on the subject, and before we um, burn up the whole hour here, which we're probably going to do because uh, it's an interesting conversation, tell us about the book, where people can get it. Uh, people can get the book directly from me. And it's uh, $30 that includes shipping, and they can PayPal the money to Bowman Marketing, B-O-W-M-A-N-M-K-T-G, at yahoo.com. Um, I do right now have a limited copies of books, so if people want them, they need, they need to get them before I order more, before I can order more. Or they, if they just want to like read it on their Kindle, they can get it through Amazon. Yeah, that's where I got it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But that, but that one is not the extended version. That oh, okay. one is not the copy with all the extra eyewitness reports and things. Okay. I got a hold of a UFO archives place in Sweden when I started to write the book. Well, started to rewrite the book so that people could. Could read, it was a little read, more readable. I just made very few changes, like the names and things. But uh, I got a hold of them, and they sent me 100 pages of stuff that had never been printed. So I do have more, more, more stuff to come. I'm in the process of writing my own book. It's called Beyond Landulus. Mm -hmm. And it should be coming out probably... February, probably by June. Okay, I didn't know I'm that. I'm figuring That's good June first. Yeah, keep yeah, uh, keep us in the loop on that. 
Yeah, and yeah. if people want to keep, keep up with it, with what's going on with it, um, they can join my Facebook. My Facebook, though, is under Tanya Lalonde. It's under my maiden name, L-A-L-O-N-D-E, because I'm in the process of a divorce. Okay. So so I am changing my, my name back to my maiden name. I thought your maiden name was Durenberger. Well, yes and no. Okay. Uh, my, my mother was married several times. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, that can get and, complicated. Yeah, so I instead of changing, I mean, it's under Durenberger, too. Okay. In in parentheses. All right. Well, you, don't, you don't have to explain. But, uh, okay. Yeah, I no. Yeah, I, I know. I I, we're friends on Facebook, I and I know. I, know how I wasn't it is, yeah. thinking when I when I changed it to Lalonde, and as soon as I can, I'm going to change it back to Jerry Murder. Okay. Now, speaking uh, of Indrid Cole, let's get back to dear old Indrid and, and some of the other things. Now, now, a lot of questions go through the modern mind about what happened in the 1950s and 60s with people meeting aliens. I mean, that happened around here, and our friend Joe Ferrier, whom we mentioned early uh, at the introduction of the show, was uh, involved with some of that as far as covering it and reporting it and, and this sort of thing. And uh, it, they all sort of have the same flavor, people might say. They are people who don't look alien at all. Uh, they land in very kind of predictable ships, although Indrid seemed to have a very different kind of vessel from the descriptions I've read. I mean, what say you to people who say this is just some guy pretending to be an alien or some government agent? What, what, what say you on that? I would say that's totally untrue, that it's that there, with the different things that happened, there's no way. I mean, like I said, I talked to him when I was three, and I, tried, I, I met him later on as I, as I got older. He visited oh, really? me. Okay. I never um, knew that. He told my father when I was little, because my father was always worried about what was going to happen to me and my brother and my mom, you know, if something happened to him with all the, the contactees and stuff. I mean, and with all the people coming around with guns, my father was always worried that, you know, he was going to get shot or something was going to happen. Yeah. And Indrid told him not to worry that he he was always he would always protect us. And he, when I met Indrid later on, when my father lived in Cle- lived in Cleveland back in nineteen. 19- 78, I believe it was, um, Indrid came and visited my dad where he was living. And I spoke with him then, too, and he said, you know, not not to worry that, you know, he's always watching us. And I know when we were, sometimes when we were driving late at night and there was nobody around, I would look up and I would see lights. Mm. And I thoroughly believe that you know, that was Indrid's ship. And my daughter back in 19, or no, 2004, was outside, and she came running in. She said, Mom, what does the UFO look like? <laughs> and I said, Ashley, they can take on different forms. Why? She said, because there was just one hovering over the house. She said it was, it was triangular in shape. And had three lights on three lights on the bottom, one of them was a different color, 
and it just kind of stopped over our house. And then it went, well, by the time I got outside, it was gone. Okay. So um, I, because these pe- because the people from Lanius can live up to 175 years old. Okay. Well, we're going to just take a very brief break. Uh, stay on the line there, please, Tanya. I want to keep going with this. We'll just, we usually do uh, something else, but we're, I'm just going to do the ID, and then we're going to continue with our conversation. Uh, you're listening okay, to, fine. Okay, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful but still frozen Blackstone River Valley. And let's get back to our guest. So, Tanya, uh, okay, so, so you, you have... This has continued. See, these things are never in isolation in our experience. They, they continue uh, in one way or another. Now, again, has, it, has, it, um, has, has the thought ever, ever crossed your mind that, that this could be something more than just someone visiting you from another planet you know, in the, or, or your father or whatever? And what I'm getting at is that the whole period where this began in the, in the uh, Ohio Valley was, was fraught with, um, and I'm sure you know some of our theories, it's just fraught with the idea of, of parallel worlds interacting. That doesn't mean he's not from Lanolos, right? But, right. but Lanolos could be accessible by means of more, more parallel world travel than it is by space travel, especially because if this person is who he said he was, he's very similar to us, and the DNA must be similar, etc., etc. Um what say you to that? I mean, did he ever give you any indication that he's just, you know, that it's, it's a lot easier to access than just, you know, some huge huge, and lengthy space uh, voyage? I mean, what, what did that ever no, come up? No, he, no, that never came up. And it, Well, it came up once with my father because my father was taken to Lanulus. Right, yeah, I remember and, that, yeah. Yeah, and over the years, my father and I were talking about it. He figured, well, maybe it could be some sort of some somebody with some sort of mind control. Mm. And he, after a while, he he denied that it happened, and of course, my mother and my brother always denied that it happened. My brother still denies that anything happened. Okay. Well, but then, but then, as, as the years went by, my father and I started talking about it again. I, I didn't really bring it up because he didn't want to, but we started talking about it again, and he he just, you know, he had, of course admitted to me that it happened, and I think he just wanted to deny that anything happened because he was so overwhelmed with people wanting TV and radio interviews and newspaper interviews and, and, and things like that. Well, oh, no, I, that, that's, that's very true. Um, but continuing with the idea, and you anticipated the next question, um, the idea that um, things are not always what they appear to be is something I learned early on in all this kind of research. And I'm thinking of many different people having many different experiences with people either alien or not alien-looking, who say they're from different places and maybe have different agendas. Um, and I, I'm not aware of anybody else except yourself, you know, outside of your family, who met this particular figure. Uh, right. 
And, and that, then there's the issue of uh, mind control, as we say. Now, the fact is, it's historical fact, that there were experiments going on, uh, pr- primarily prompted by similar experience, experiments in the Soviet Union, with mind control on the part of defense officials in this country. And uh, there, were, there are things going on, Ben and I are investigating right now, that, that make us wonder what's really going on. Could this whole thing have been uh, an experiment in, in mind control by somebody else upon your family? I suppose it could have, but I don't know why it would have, because we were just an, an ordinary, an ordinary, you know, family. We lived, we lived pretty, pretty low on the radar. Maybe that's the best reason. I don't know. Yeah. Now again, I yeah, to, that's I, it. I that's have always, I have always tended to believe my father's story. Yeah, yeah. I have always been on my dad's side. Yeah, as um, as, as did he. And now, I know there are things that have happened uh, to me in the course of researching this stuff, and and uh, I I have no doubt they were, you know, objectively real, whatever that may mean, but right. they weren't some sort of imagination or, or or something beyond that. So I guess right. uh, in the end, we we just have to say we really really don't. Don't know. Um, what about um, another thing that happened in that vicinity uh, at that time and since then has been the the uh, men in black phenomenon. In other words, somebody uh, shows up. John Keel reports a lot of this. Somebody shows up, maybe in, in a group of people or two or three, uh, in a black car, dressed in a black suit. You know, and sometimes it's just really something really strange about them, and they they tell you to be quiet about your experience, or they ask you about it. Did, did anything like that ever happen to your family? Somebody other than Ingrid Cold showing up? Not while I was around. No. Okay. I totally. I mean, I I don't believe in the Men in Black theory. Hmm. Um, I mean, maybe some. Yeah, maybe some people. It happens to, but it. It has never happened to my family while we were around. Now the police told us to be quiet. The police and not, did. not make and not make waves, not say anything. Although they said the next day my dad went on national went on local TV and told his whole story, which is available in a CD through through me for ten dollars. But yeah, it. I like I said I just don't, I, I don't believe the whole men in black theory because I never saw men in black. Okay. I'm not saying that other people haven't. Um, I'm just saying I didn't. I don't know. If, maybe it's because we moved around so much. I mean, we move. We were moving like every six months, and my mother was having to change our phone number every couple of months because somehow it was unlisted, but somehow people would get it. Yeah. Hmm. And we, I mean, we moved for, from our farmhouse to my mother's cabin to another place in the city and then to uh, one more place in, in Parkersburg. And then finally we moved to Cleveland yeah, because it's my fun. mother had had enough. It's funny you describe it. I'm stepping on Ben's lines here. He may have some things to ask, but um, I just wanted to comment that, that what you say certainly does sound like the kind of harassment people report 
uh, in the context of a man in black experience, including, in a way, Joe Ferrier, our friend. Now, he, I, he never told me about any men in black, but he did say that uh, he wanted his life to go back to normal. This is in the late 60s. And he gave up all his UFO research, and he said his life went back to normal. So, uh, but, but he reported many of the, of the things, you know, people spying and all, all sorts of things that went on. And Joe was the sanest person uh, I knew. So um, right. what, what you, you say does ring true with a lot of stories we've heard. Uh, ben, uh, yes. Did you have a question? Well, I have many questions. Well, proceed. Uh, well, one of the common criticisms of, of alien sightings from the 50s and 60s is that they weren't really alien at all. In, in fact, they were a lot like movie aliens of the time, and very human in looks and motivations. Uh, in movies since then, aliens and their ships have become a lot more, well, alien, and so have uh, many contact reports. Is it possible that your dad and others uh, had real contact experiences, but put their own cultural interpretations upon them? I don't know. I guess anything's possible. Mm, yeah, we found that out um, on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Anything's possible, but, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. Well, one, we're thinking, maybe, Ben, you're thinking of Ted Phillips uh, in Missouri, who uh, has, has been on the show several times, a renowned collector of UFO landing evidence and physical evidence, and report, not, not just reports, so he's a pretty serious fellow. And he said that since, the, and we've asked him the same question, since the 50s and the 60s, the nature of UFO experiences seems to change. And I know that you keep up with the field and, and that you yourself are a researcher. And he thinks right. that maybe the technology has changed as far as whoever is visiting, that many, many different uh, species, if you will, are visiting in many different ways, either in this parallel world scenario that we're talking about or maybe traveling simply across, you know, well, I mean, how, how much could change in, like, a couple of decades? I mean, well, that's were, what if, I wonder. I'm well, wondering if they, were, the, well if they were already, like, in, in amazingly advanced people, then why would they need to upgrade? I don't know. <laughs> Tanya yeah. said, I don't know. Neither do I, Ben, you know, really on that. Uh, but, you know, one thing that bothers me, and I, I wanted to ask this uh, to you as well, Tanya, it bothers me that, the standard of advancement is considered to be technology. In other words, you know, if somebody has a nifty spacecraft or interdimensional craft or whatever it is, we say, whoa, they must be really advanced. Well, to me, advancement is moral and spiritual. I'd far rather be in contact with some, somebody who lives in a shack, maybe from another world or whatever you want to call it, uh, who has great wisdom than somebody who has a lot of gadgets. I don't, because you know, when you think of it, in the 1930s, what was the most advanced na advanced nation on Earth technologically? It was Nazi Germany, and, lo and look how that turned out. So you see what I'm getting at here, Tanya. Um, what was your impression of the? Um, I know you were only three, but but uh, later in life, as you got older and you and you met uh, this particular person, what, what was your impression about their character, their intentions, uh, or, you know, or was this some kind of dazzling technology? I mean, what, what, was your, what was your impression there? I think they're, they're, as far as their intentions, I don't think it had anything to do with technology, although they were more techno technologically advanced, yeah, I can say that word, yeah. <laughs> advanced from us. And, but as far as technology and, and that I really believe that 
this was so, that this was someone from another planet. Okay. And again, I think what happened is they because I was going through a bad time at that time too. Because when I was going through my first divorce, and he visited me, and so I think what happened is he just wanted to assure me that everything was okay and everything was going to be okay, and you know they were still they were still watching me and they weren't going to let anybody or anything hurt me. Why you? And why your dad? That I can't tell you. I don't know. Mm. You'd have to ask them. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. I mean, th th this has been an age-old question. Yeah, I that, think you know, it's how come they don't land on the White House lawn and just go marching into the Oval Office? You know, how come it's so ordinary folks? And it always, well, like, at least for the past maybe two thousand years, it's always been ordinary folks. I mean, if you look at the ancient Egyptians, uh, you got Amenhotep IV, who supposedly had this experience and changed the whole religion. But, you know, we don't really know for sure what happened there. But it does seem, uh, there does seem to be a certain wisdom to me in dealing with ordinary people. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's just ordinary people because they don't want to make a whole lot of noise about it. Yeah. And I think they're they're afraid to go to places like the White House lawn because they don't they think that they're probably going to get shot at or something's going to happen. Well, that could happen. Yeah. Although the guy went, you know. he jumped over the fence and ran right into the the, the main entrance hall. That's nobody a good point, stopped. Yeah. Him. But he didn't land in the yeah. spaceship. Yeah. Of course they could have. Of course, they could have gotten shot in my backyard, too, with all the guys in, in <laughs> well, the trees. Well, those were, you know, uh, good folks from the 50s and 60s. Uh, is something you don't yeah. understand, you shoot it, right? That yeah. part was very frightening to me because I, had a, I rarely slept at night because of all the voices and people talking in the trees. I, I guess it's a good thing that I was pre-kindergarten. That's bizarre. Because if I would have had to have gone to school, I would, I would have been sleeping through school. But my yeah. brother has always, I said, my brother has always denied the fact. In fact, he got a little upset when he found out that I was doing this with the book. Okay. Is he older than but you or younger? He's older than I am. Okay. Now, as Greg far as... Greg is 55. Greg's 50. See, I'll be 52 in a couple of weeks. Greg's 50, 56. Okay. Well, you've uh, you've been on the show before, and I, I don't know if we ever. I would probably asked you this. Every every guest uh, of this uh, in this field sort of gets this question. Uh, Tanya, can you say have you had other paranormal experiences in your life? Most people have uh, that had nothing to do that were significant in your opinion, but had nothing to do with what you believe was was an injured cold experience. You know, maybe a poltergeist or. I don't know if it had, a, has any, had us anything to do with the injured cold experience or not, but when we were living in Indianapolis, um, my husband and I were laying in bed in what they had turned the garage into a bedroom, and all the lights were out. It was all dark. Kids were in bed, and all of a sudden, my husband looked in the living room, and so did I, and he said, one of the kids is up. I said, what do you mean one of the kids is up? They were sound asleep five minutes ago. He said, one of the kids is up, and they're in the living room. And I looked over, and you could see this this shadow on the wall. But he was wearing, like, a fedora hat. 
And I told Kirk, I said, that is not one of the kids. I said, you watch. I said, that's not one of the kids. I said, that's a shadow person. Yeah, classic one, so-called. He's he's like, a what? I said, it's a shadow person, to which I had to explain that to him. Because we had never really talked about the Landulus experience or anything. um, So I got up, walked through the living room, and of course there was nobody there, and I peeked in on... The three, and th- the three kids, and of course they were all in bed, sound asleep. And I came back to bed, and it was gone. So I had to explain shadow people to my husband. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll bet that was someone that injured cold sent down to check on me because we had just moved to Indianapolis. And my husband at that, and I at that time were having some problems. Uh, I said, uh, I said I would bet you that was either injured cold himself or someone injured cold sent to, to check on us. Well, if I can presume to give you some advice, um, I I wouldn't assume that uh, very often when and, and a lot of people tell us this, and we investigate cases where things are happening in houses, and if something really is, very often it's it can be stimulated in a negative way by domestic trouble of some kind, you know, and so, but again, that's, you know, you have to make your own judgments. Uh, did you ever get the impression, and I don't want to belabor this, but did you ever get the impression that you you were not being told the truth by Indrid Cold or any of these others? I mean, how many others, did, did, just to, as an aside to that, how many others did you see, have you seen in ensuing years or felt were around besides Indrid Cold? Just Indrid Cold and his buddy, um, Carl Ardo was was who was his buddy's name. Okay, all right. Uh, and um, it was just those two from time to time. Uh, I did meet them several several times um, later too when my father moved to Cleveland. Okay, and I was older. All right. Um, okay, we. Um we're going to uh, do a, get a few emails in here, that, you know, to, to answer. But there is a uh, is one that that might be you might want to uh, join us in answering here. Um, there, are, uh, if I can find it, I hadn't planned on this actually. All right. Oh, okay. I here you go. Actually, I had actually seen um, in the distance, um, Indrid. A couple of weeks ago, when my brother passed away. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry yeah, to hear about but, your brother. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, he's actually my half brother, Woody. Okay. Woody's both our fathers, and he passed away. And I was in the funeral home. I was up by a casket, and I saw him peek in the room. He didn't actually come in the room, but he just did peek in the room. He waved to me and he laughed. And by the time I got to the door, he was gone. Okay. Interesting because that's, um, somebody, some might say that's a, what's known as a crisis apparition kind of thing, you know. Um, well, let's get this question in here, Ben. This is the second one. It's from Brandy in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And I thought it's, it's sort of of relevance to our discussion tonight. Right. So Brandy writes to us, with all the questions you've addressed on your show over the years, I do not think I've heard you address this one. Why do so many people have uh, who have had UFO experiences become very ver- uh, religious after the experience? Could they be 
predisposed to temporal lobe experiences and maybe that uh, would explain the UFO experience and the religious temperament at the same time. Yeah, as I read that, it's it, I, we have seen a lot, a lot of people become very religious, including some of a couple of the, the fellows who experienced the Rendlesham Forest landings in 1980 uh, become very religious later in life, which can happen anyway. Uh, certainly. So, well, what's your impression on that, Tanya? Um, if if I may ask, do you feel you're more religious than you were when you were uh, having some of these experiences earlier in your life? Yeah, I believe that. Or even spiritual, if you don't. No. Yeah, I believe that things, my mom always said things happen for a reason. Very true. Yeah. And I asked, well, how long ago? Back in, back in 2007, I did become an ordained minister. Ah. And so, yeah, I believe that maybe that might have happened anyway. Or it might have happened because of this. It's it's hard to tell why people become more spiritual, if it's really because of that or if they were going to anyway. Interesting, yeah. Uh, just uh, to explain the, uh, Brandy's uh, temporal lobe reference, that's a part of the brain where it's believed that uh, spiritual and uh, ex- experiences or experiences of that kind, perhaps even transpersonal experiences, do take place. Now, that's not known for sure, but that's believed uh, to be that. And there's been speculation that, that, that people such as uh, those who experience the um, uh, Marian apparitions at like Lourdes or Fatima were people who were given the temporal lobe experiences, and this is being tested in this sort of thing. And uh, the uh, I think the question was also meant to discover whether people who uh, have these experiences are prone to temporal lobe uh, higher temporal lobe functions than others. It's not any kind of disorder. It's just a characteristic, you know. So uh, that's perhaps something. So have you ever been uh, tested for anything like that? You, you or, or uh, your father at any point? Because uh, that, that technology is relatively new. But uh, my father had all kinds of brain scans and and everything else when he after he went through all of this. Some of them I have even have copies of. Mm-hmm. Um, I never have, but you've got to understand, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 12 years ago, mm-hmm. to which I went through all kinds of brain scans and tests and things like that. So when I had mentioned it to the neurologist, he didn't think that that had anything to do with it. Okay. All right. Well, as you say, uh, the best... The best we can say is we just don't know, you know. So, yeah. Tanya, um, why don't you give us your uh, uh, the book one more time and uh, where people can get in touch with you about it, and um, we'll uh, we'll let you go for the evening. Get you to get so you can get some rest. <laughs> okay, they can email me at Bowman Marketing B O W M A N M K T G at yahoo dot com, and they can either just go ahead and send thirty dollars through PayPal. Um, for the book, or they can email me first, and they, I'm more than happy to answer each and every email. Okay. So if they have any questions even about the book before they order it, they're more than I'm more than happy for them to, you know, to email me and ask me questions. Okay, very good. Well, thank you for that, Tanya, and uh, we're glad you're feeling a little better. And thank you for being with us this evening. And we'll, we'll put that thank link you. on our uh, on our website as well. So okay. uh, thanks again. Talk to thank you soon. You. 
Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, and uh, these emails are really piling up. We have room for uh, one or two more here, Ben? I'd say one. Okay. Let's do the first one, then. Oh, well. All right. Julie Andrews would say the beginning is a very good place to start. So Larry from uh, North Smithfield, Rhode Island, writes to us, I find your shows about animals and the paranormal truly fascinating, especially your stories about your cats and Paul's experience with the ghostly deer. Uh, So my question is about animals. If they are so good at telling the presence of ghosts, can animals also tell the presence of UFOs or aliens? Uh, How can they be so sensitive in other cases? Should have asked uh, Tanya if she had any pets. Okay, well, Probably, uh, yeah. Yeah. well, I think that what we're dealing with here is, um, I think any disturbance in the environment will alert uh, an animal, or any person for that matter, uh, who is somewhat aware and is paying attention to things. And we don't pay attention these days because we're running around about our you know, silly affairs, and some of them are not silly, but we're still very busy. And you and I both know that better than anybody, Ben. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, sometimes you're just not paying attention to the, uh, the stimuli in the environment, which is what one of the, these things are. You're dealing, I think, with um, EM fields, electromagnetic fields, which I think are the sort of the basis of what holds the universe together, and indeed the multiverse, because in our experience, the boundaries between these uh, parallel worlds that we're always talking about are real. Uh, as physicists, uh, most physicists believe, and that they are, the boundaries are electromagnetic, or brains, B-R-A-N-E-S as they call them, as in membranes. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the experience of, of um, some of the, uh, some friends of ours out in Colorado uh, who were, were writing about their horses, and the horses, you know, how do you approach a horse, which is a very aware type of animal, because it's a prey animal, you know, if they're not aware, they're going to get eaten by something. So when you approach them, they will first kind of notice that they pick it or they, they look at you and uh, you sort of establish a, uh, a reportage, as it were, with the animal as you approach and they realize that they're not in any danger. I think that a lot of that has to do with the DC electrical fields that are around every living thing and probably everything in general. And that when you are in close proximity to someone, that's why you feel there someone is present even if you can't see them or or be apprehend them with your own uh, regular physical senses because right. you the the uh, fields are in contact and you simply feel that so uh yeah i don't see any reason why, and i've seen animals um, as a matter of fact I, I just finished writing uh part of our our book which has just gone to the agent and we'll let you know about that as it develops and one of that was about wyatt our ghost hunting dog now you were too young for me to have told you most of this at the time but uh he came with me on a couple of cases he saved me a pile of work he usually you think animals would be terrified he ran right he didn't like it but he figured i should know it so he ran right to and i'm thinking of a case in, in uxbridge mass or was it northbridge uxbridge or northbridge and right in the listening area here up he went to the bathroom uh, but he didn't use the bathroom, but he, he was pretty much uh, <laughs> saying something is going on in there. And then he ran to a bedroom, and uh, I think we helped uh, prevent a suicide. Uh, it's a long story. You haven't got time for it now. But uh, in any case, uh, the dog helped me. So he, he was one who responded to that, but he got very nervous. Remember how weird he got, like, toward... Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and I think that was, some of that had to do with this. Makes sense. Everybody was blaming you, but it was actually... <laughs> Probably they paranormal were, they, were, they were blaming me, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, so uh, that, that's what happened. So uh, the, how the animal responds to these stimuli is, is an open question. Most uh, tend to be afraid. Uh, they'll st- I've seen lots of animals uh, bark 
at things and, and stare. I mean, it's like the same thing with, with uh, dogs and all sorts of animals that that can like tell when a, nat- a natural disaster is going to come along. Well, exactly, yeah. There seems to be a lot of awareness to that. Okay, well, that, that's about all the time we have. But I wanted to mention as we begin our announcements, uh, Travis Walton, who is, um, I don't know if he's, a, he, we have a podcast with him, but he's never actually managed to be on the show, but we know him. Uh, through our experiences at uh, some of the the great conferences we've been to. Uh, Travis uh, has a a little grandson, Ethan Gabriel Weaver, who was born on uh, November 5th and uh, is is, uh, very ill, but he's he's spent three months in the Phoenix, Arizona Children's Hospital, and uh, repeated trips uh, there have have been very expensive for the family. Um, The different uh, drugs doctors have tried, uh, some have worked, some have not, and uh, we wanted to tell you that there will be uh, on our website a link to uh, f- to follow this and to, and to donate if you can uh, to the to the Ethan Medical Fund. Uh, Travis comes from a very modest family and they don't have a lot of resources. So uh, Travis, of course, had the uh, a tremendous UFO experience uh, in the 70s and was. Uh, abducted and uh, this sort of thing is very very fine fellow and uh, we hope we can uh, give him some uh, help uh, but check our website behind the paranormal.com uh, for that information and uh, maybe we can can give them a hand that's right and you can also find lots of other stuff at that website as well nearly 600 free podcasts from both on 1240 and our four and a half year run on cbs radio along with special shows and podcasts Okay, and five my books uh, as well amazon.com amazon kindle barnes and noble look etc etc all right, so next Monday, that is March 9th, uh, here on ON1240 and WON, uh, or sorry, ONWorldwide.com, my dad and I will delve into one of the greatest unexplained mysteries of the 20th century. That is the death at Dyatlov Pass. And uh, we'll give you a warning. Some of that's kind of graphic, so we'll give a parental advisement at this point. Uh, so we'll leave you this evening with a thought attributed to Gautama the Buddha. The secret of health for both mind and body is not to mourn for the past, worry about the future, or anticipate trouble, but to live in the present. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.